Hey, hey, what up? It's Podcast Rebellion. We are back at it again here in the Davidson Ford State Farm Studio. I'm your host, Zach Berry. Joining me here momentarily, Mr. Ben Woodhouse. Talk to you on Sunday. We got out of Neyland Stadium alive. Now we are moving on to this weekend's clash with the LSU Tigers, the battle for the Magnolia Bowl trophy that nobody wants, but uh, they still do it. So we are here. We are going to discuss the game on Saturday. We also speak with Zachary Junda of And the Valley Shook in the second segment. We talk uh, coaching search season as uh, that is the hot topic in Baton Rouge now that Ed Orgeron is technically the interim right now. And uh, we also talk about uh, the emergence of Ty Dibbs Price and LSU's run game after knocking off Florida last week. But before we get into that, we're going to give our thoughts on the game. And also, before we do that, I'm going to remind you of the, sh- of the uh, sponsors that make the show possible. I mentioned we were in the Davis McCord State Farm Studio. He is your one-stop shop in Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Mississippi for the service you deserve at the price you want. So stop looking around. Give Davis a call. He's ready to help you. 901-755-6110. Talk to him and get your surprisingly great rates today. Podcast Rebellion also brought to you by Chef Erica and the committed team of food and beverage enthusiasts at Sola on South Lamar. They are bringing top-notch cuisine and libations to you six days a week. So whether that's happy hour, three to six, fresh squeezed margaritas, ramen, two-for-one Moscow mules, all that and more, they are bringing the best and brightest in-house or via curbside pickup. Stop by this weekend when you're in town before Ole Miss and LSU kick things off at 2.30 and um, sit, uh, like I said, in-house if you want to uh, sit down for a nice meal or uh, pick up some uh, takeout. Check them out, solaoxford.com or call them at 662-238-3500 and place your order today. Show is also brought to you by LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast. Greg and the folks are offering the Podcast Rebellion perk. All you got to do is mention the show, mention the website, mention the Twitter account, the Instagram, any of that pertaining to Red Cup Rebellion, and you will receive a 16-ounce prime strip and a pack of in-house made sausage for $20. That's uh, quite the deal. For uh, It could be you know, a smorgasbord for, for one person. It could be a meal for two probably feed three or four. But again, just mention Red Cup sent you, mention you listen to the show and they will hook it up. 16 ounce prime strip and a pack of sausage for $20. That's LB's Meat Market, 2008 University Avenue. The best place for the best protein for all of your old Miss grilling needs. Ben, good evening. Welcome. Good evening. Um, sorry, I was on mute there for a second and I couldn't figure out how to get to the unmute. Um, man, what a crazy week last week was. What a crazy weekend we've got coming up. It's a really good time. You know, I think as Ole Miss fans, we have a tendency to try to look into the long term rather than enjoying the moment. And right now, man, we just need to be enjoying what's going on. I mean, we got the, the odds on favorite to win the Heisman. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss is five and one and ranked close to the top ten in the country. And we got LSU coming to town. Retiring Eli's jersey. You know, Arch Manning in attendance is gonna be a great weekend. Yeah. Um you know, uh, the visit list this weekend is uh pretty incredible. 
Um, you mentioned Arch Manning's in town. For those of you that uh, might be living under a rock or have been in a coma for the last year or so, um, the uh, grandson of Archie, the son of Cooper, the uh, number one overall player in the country in the 2023 class will be in town. But outside of that, I mean, you've got, let's see if we count them here. One, two, three, four top 150 players, a couple Ole Miss commits, and then some notable targets. Uh, Davison Igbinoson from New Jersey, Stone Blanton, the linebacker from Mississippi. Um, and then you've got, I mean, some notable 2023 outside of Arch Fanny. You've got another four-star quarterback, Jaden Rashada from California that's going to be in town, another four-star DB from Dallas, a four-star receiver from Chicago, a four-star offensive lineman from Chattanooga. I mean, it is just a who's who list this weekend. Um, Got some notable 2024 prospects in town, Um, a big transfer portal target, and Taj Harris, the receiver from Syracuse um, that is uh, now – transferring from upstate New York. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a jam-packed weekend for uh, for Saturday's game. Ole Miss up to number 12 now in the country, 5-1 and one overall, 2-1 and one in the SEC. Um, so let's just let's jump into it. Um, Ole Miss obviously won a hell of a game last week. We were there in attendance. It was a, a great game. Matt Corral, again, just another gutsy just heroic performance, boosting his Heisman status. Um, depending on where you get your odds, he's either the favorite or right behind Bryce Young. LSU uh, got a little spunky last week. Um, I don't think uh, many people expected it. Um, I certainly didn't. Um, defeated Florida. Um, they are now um four and three overall two and two in the conference um but yeah huge win for the tigers last week over 20th ranked florida at home um i'm interested to get your thoughts on this ben of how you think this team is going to be coming into saturday's game i already alluded to at orgeron um he has been informed by scott woodward that he will no longer be the head coach in baton rouge after the season i think they're going to get up for him I do worry how long this team will be up for him on Saturday because I do think that Ole Miss is going to be ready for them. They're going to be focused. I don't think there's going to be any sort of emotional letdown from the big win on the road last week. I think that Lane Kiffin and that staff are going to do a nice job of making sure that they are focused and motivated to continue this push to, uh, you know, 11-1 and is still on the table, Ben. It is, and no matter how realistic or unrealistic you think that is, it's still on the table. And, you know, I think this week is going to be more about – I can't imagine a a world where college football players stay up for a full game for a coach who's not going to be their coach next year, a full staff that's not. You really – you know, you really only – put your the upperclassmen, I guess they're playing for – you know, tape for NFL um, executives and GMs. But other than that, I mean, there's a little bit of pride going on. Mm -hmm. I I just can't imagine it staying that way long term. Like, you know, I think LSU comes out punching in the first quarter 
maybe even the first half. But if Ole Miss gets up a couple scores, they'll lay down. I mean, it's going to be the exact opposite of the Tennessee atmosphere for, or I guess, um, embodiment or whatever you want to call it. The, the, uh, just their attitude is going to be the opposite of what Tennessee had. I mean, Tennessee pulled out all the stuff, you know, speaking of that game quickly, and I, I know we're here to talk about LSU. Somebody asked me today about Tennessee and I said, do you remember, I know this is very cliche for Ole Miss fans to do, but a lot of Ole Miss fans are like, do you remember 2003 LSU? Like the the atmosphere and the environment and the just the the pulse of the campus and the stadium and how like rowdy it was. That's how Tennessee was last Saturday, truly, except there were 100,000 people there. I mean, that's kind of the way that they – looked at that game. I, I don't, I'm not necessarily saying that they were going to say that that game was going to get them to Atlanta, but, mm-hmm. but the way that they treated it, it was like a coming out party. Anyway, if you can go there and, and withstand the, you know, the onslaught from them constantly in a, in a rowdy environment with a banged up team and come out with a win, I don't know why you think suddenly you can't come home and do the same thing or or more handedly beat a team who has nothing to play for at this point. I mean, LSU season, I mean, you know, I just – I don't know that they're going to put up two weeks in a row kind of like what they did to Florida. I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I just – I don't think you do that back-to-back weeks, especially now. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there were whispers around, you know, the football facility that – Coach O was going to be let go. But once it becomes, you know, official, I, I just don't know that that you still have the same mentality, you know, coming out of the locker room and onto the field Saturday as you would if that was still an uncertainty. I – so I said I think they're going to get up for this game because it's a quasi-rivalry game. And naturally, young student-athletes – like to win with that said i'm also curious of how up they will get for a coach that is that is done um i also will freely admit that my tone would be very different if lsu was completely healthy um they are down a ton of starters on defense um i uh, Ali Gay, I can't remember the other defensive end's name. They're down both corners, Eli Ricks, um, Derek Stingley, and then their best offensive weapon, Kayshawn Boutte, is, is done for the year. Um, so if they were completely healthy, if all of the aforementioned names were available, I think this would be a much spicier matchup. I would still probably lean Ole Miss winning. But like you said, I think if Ole Miss comes out, withstands the initial blow, um, I, I would venture to say that LSU is going to run Todd Davis Price early and often. They're going to try to really, you know, catapult off that momentum they got last year in his performance against Florida where he broke the single-game rushing record. Um, but look, I mean, I did an analytical piece on it this week. Um, the Ole Miss run defense was actually – pretty damn good a week ago against Tennessee. Um, the yards before contact numbers were really good. Hendon Hooker's scrambling numbers, the success rate was really low. They held them under, I believe, three yards per carry. Um, and look, you're not having to deal with somebody like Hendon Hooker this week. I mean, Max Johnson is not mobile at all. 
he's not a guy that's going to just devastate you with his legs like Matt Corral did to Tennessee a week ago where any kind of third and medium to long, he was just breaking their back over and over again by getting those first downs. I think the defense is really starting to turn the corner with the scheme, with the 3-2-6. I know there's been a lot of huff and puff about that, and people are kind of, you know, kind of, you know, very dramatic size and, you know, grunting and all of that because of, you know, well, we can't do three down linemen, just not going to get it done in the SEC. But I do think they're starting to get comfortable. They're playing pretty sound fundamental football. But then also, me and you were talking about it during the game last week, Jake Springer being back just makes this defense so much better. Um, yeah, you're right. It, it does. And, and really, Jake Springer, what it allows you to do, or at least the way I've interpreted his return, is Ole Miss is sending, you know, may still have three down linemen, but sending an extra guy, you know, rushing four as opposed to three. I think there's a difference in having three down linemen and rushing four and having three down linemen and rushing three, only three and dropping eight uh, mm-hmm. playing prevent. Uh, um, I agree with you. I thought that he made a huge difference last week. And I think he's going to continue to make a huge difference. He has a, uh, a physicality about him or brings that, you know, to the table that Ole Miss has just simply hadn't had uh, through a lot of the season this year. There are a few guys that come to mind that have that, you know, and frankly, ironically, Tylen Knight is one of them. You know, there's just mm-hmm. some guys who just make plays and, and Springer's clearly one of those. Um, I, uh, I get the sense this week that Ole Miss will put more guys in the box force Max Johnson to try to make plays uh, with his arm. And I just don't know that he's got the accuracy to do that. I, I, I don't know if I'm coaching Ole Miss, I'm, I've got, you know, five, six, seven guys in the box. And I'm just mm-hmm. going to say, you know what, you need to beat us without your best receiver. And you need to try and, you know, make throws down the field against us. And maybe he gets that done. But th- as I said before, um, you know, you force him, make the young guys have to make quick decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would put a lot of pressure in his face and say, you know, you need to think fast because you can, you can mature a player by not rushing anybody. KJ Jefferson sat back there all game against Ole Miss and mm-hmm. it makes it, it just kind of even as a playing field for him. If he doesn't have to worry about a pass rush, well, then at that point, you know, all he's got to do, you can go slow work through your progressions slower. And so, yeah, you know, the, if, the if guys are in your face for you when you can sit back, it does. For it seconds. does. It does. And so if it were me, I would, I would continue to, you know, and Ole Miss did this against Tennessee and got good pressure on Hen, uh, hit, uh, Hendon Hicks, is his name? And, um, oh, Hendon Hooker. So, yeah. Hooker, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, I I look forward to the uh, to the game Saturday because I think Ole Miss is going to continue to do that. I think you're exactly right in that they've gotten more comfortable in that that uh, um, uh, or that formation and are, are getting a little spicier in the play calls now that uh, Springer's back. You know, Mark Robinson's coming into his own. Um, 
uh, Sam Williams is playing very, very well. Uh, Bivens had a good game, you know, and then you add in Springer, you get to roll uh, number three, you know, to his correct position, Otis Reese. And then suddenly you've got a pretty good deep. I mean, you've got a formidable defense. Mm -hmm. One that's not going to, I mean, Tennessee, I said this last week before the game, you know, in our pick'em show, they were averaging 53 points a game coming into, you know, an SEC play for the last two SEC games coming into that. And it yeah. wasn't like they were, like, you know, backdoored into 53. They were at 45 points in the first half against Missouri. So, you know, this was a team that – say what you want. Missouri's not any good and and – you know, but at the same time, that's still a lot of points against SEC players. So I don't know. I think the defense played a lot better last week. And while our offense did not look like it did, you still have Matt Corral. Like I would rather our defense play well and lean on Corral to win games than try to, you know, outscore people and know that you can't get any stops. Yeah. I mean, I, we talked about Springer, and I think that that's such a huge key for this defense to be able to do what the three-two-six is for, um, because you can bring pressure with three. I mean, Ole Miss was getting home a ton last week against Tennessee, and Tennessee's got the worst offensive line in the SEC, but they were getting there with three down linemen. But bringing Springer, where you're bringing four, and then they would bring – Sometimes they were bringing an extra linebacker or they were rolling another DB down to the box and you're bringing five. I think that that really frees up Chance Campbell, Mark Robinson, Lakia Henry, Momo Sonogo to where they can just see ball, get ball to where it's not a, okay, well, first I got to spy. I got to make sure the, the quarterback's not running. Okay, but he's not running. Okay, the running back's got the ball, so I got to go get him. There's none of that. There's no thinking involved. It's just... I'm a linebacker. I'm going to make the tackle because you're not relying on them to create pressure and make the play because you've got Springer and then another DB that's coming in, bringing the pressure. And then they're just freed up to just kind of go get the ball. And we saw that a ton last week where with Springer coming off the outside, taking an extra blocker, you saw Chance Campbell, Mark Robinson, and those guys reading run and just immediately coming downhill and making the play to where they're not having to fight off a guard because the protections having to slide one way or the other because of the extra pressure they're bringing. And Springer just gives them so many options to do that. Um, I like what you said about just really getting after them and, and making Max Johnson beat them. A year ago, he did that and then some. It was a monsoon. It was a shootout. Um, but again, you got to remember last year, Keishon Boutte was in the game. He's not there this year. He's out for the year. Uh, he was their leading receiver coming into this game, 38 receptions, 509 yards, receiving nine touchdowns for Boutte. Um, you know, selfishly, as an Ole Miss podcast, as an Ole Miss website, as an Ole Miss fan, you obviously are happy that Mr. Boutte is not playing in this game because he is so talented. You obviously don't want it at the expense of him being hurt, um, but he's not in this game. After him – Jake Beck is a H-back hybrid tight end receiver, kind of like an Evan Ingram type guy, 24 catches, 292 yards, one touchdown. After him, you've got Brian Thomas with 16 catches, Jerry Jenkins, 14, Trey Palmer, 13, Deion Smith, the Mississippi true freshman, 11 catches, 
they don't have a ton of big time playmakers on the outside. So at this point, like you said, take away the run and Ty Davis price, and then just force Max Johnson to have to beat you with his arm. Cause he's not going to do it with the legs. So I think that this is uh, the, the game within the game here that the defense and that front seven are really going to have to get after them and force them to, uh, to really make the plays down the field, like you said. So I like this matchup for Ole Miss. I, I think this is a bad matchup for LSU defensively. Um, we talked about the injuries they have over there. Um, Allie Gay's out. He was uh, two and a half sacks. Is Andre Anthony the other defensive end that's out? I cannot remember yes. the other guy's name. Yeah, yeah okay, I think so it's Andre Anthony. That's yeah. their two sack leaders. Gay had two and a half sacks, and Anthony had three and a half. Um, somebody's going to – or excuse me, I misspoke. B.J. Ojolari has six sacks. Um, so, I mean, it, it's going to have to – and again, like I think with the, the way the offense has been this season – I'm really interested to see how they attack this LSU defense because, as we've said on the show all the time, I feel like the offense is predicated on what the run game is doing. They like to run to set up the pass. Um, Obviously, Corral did it all a week ago, but the Arkansas game, a really good defense, they really punched Arkansas in the mouth with Snoop Connor and Henry Parrish, and then now Jerry Neely's back in the mix. He can throw a little change-up in there, a little change of pace work the outside to stretch the field. I'm, I'm really amped up to see what Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy dial up for this game. Oh yeah. I mean, I I think that, and I'll say this, you know, I said this earlier in the show, I'm going to say it again. It's very simple. Ole Miss gets out, you know, to a two score lead. I think that this game turns into a uh, boat race a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I I, uh, I expect uh, a lot of uh, Dontario Drummond. I mm-hmm. expect more Dennis Jackson. Thought he looked good against um, Tennessee. I uh, I expect more Casey Kelly. And frankly, Lane Kiffin has challenged Jerry and Ely like two or three press conferences in a row to step up. So I, I think yeah. he's going to get we- another shot. Um, I say, can we can we go ahead and get ahead of that? That Matt Corral is playing in this game. Yeah, there, I, there is I, I no, there is no injury concerns there. <laughs> yeah. there, there was, was some pod, there I mean, some podcasts this week that were doing picks, and they were saying, "Well, we don't know if Matt Corral, Matt Corral's playing." Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't, I, I mean, that would be I, Oxford is, is Ole Miss. You know, people in Mississippi <laughs> don't know how to keep their mouth shut. I was going to say it exactly would it would saying. be all over the place. Oh, it so, would be the worst kept secret if he was hurt. Yeah. So, like, you know, anyway, he, I, I, I've forgot all about that even. That was almost like that was some, you know, have his, like, you know, uh, flu game, my MJ flu game. And if we want to go that route, that's fine with me. I mean, let's just put a cast on his left arm and let him let him roll with it. But they – um, I think that Ole Miss will have uh, – uh, I think Ole Miss is going to throw it around. I, I look to, you know, I would go to Dontario Drummond. He's kind of been a little – I mean, he scored a touchdown against Tennessee but and uh, and Arkansas, frankly. But, you know, he, sl- he kind of slowed down there through uh, the middle part of the season, so, you know, since 
his, you know, coming out party against Louisville. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's our best receiver. I have thought that. And I thought, you know, maybe I'm, I'm uh, making things up, but they moved him back to the inside against Tennessee, even with, um, you know, some guys out. He came back in, and he's so much more effective there than out wide. So mm-hmm. I would, uh, you know, you know, maybe try and play him in the slot some. Um, but either way, you know, Kiffin's challenged the running backs. They should have been, you know, feed Snoop Connor, continue to do that. And I just think that Ole Miss, go back and watch the UCLA-LSU game. UCLA kind of ran all over them. Mm-hmm. UCLA's not Ole Miss running the football. Right. And so um, I look – you know, I look for Ole Miss to have a lot of success here. Like you said, this is a good – I think this is a good matchup for Ole Miss. You know, you, normally you can't really say that with LSU. You can say mm-hmm. that this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if I'm going through the Ole Miss statistics before I look at that UCLA game, I'm glad you mentioned that because of how people were shocked watching that game week one. I mean, UCLA just flat out punished LSU up front and just beat them up. And people were like, how is a Pac-12 team doing this to an SEC team? But you look at the rushing, I mean, Corral leads the team 450 yards, eight touchdowns, Parrish at 375, Snoop at 271 with nine touchdowns, lead the SEC. I mean, as a team, they're averaging 5.4 yards per carry. I really anticipate them. They're probably, now that you mention it, they're probably looking at a lot of that film of that UCLA game where, I mean, looking at the the box score here, UCLA ran for 210 yards and they averaged 4.5 a carry. Uh, Zach Charbonnet ran for 117. Um, You had another, uh, Britton Brown ran for 96 yards. Charbonnet averaged 10.6 yards per carry in that game. Brown averaged 5.6. But, man, you have just the added element. I mean, in that game, Dorian Thompson-Robinson ran it 13 times, but that's probably a lot of scrambling. I mean, you have the the corral effect here where you've got to account for him in the run game. He is absolutely an extra running back back there because of how well he can run and evade pressure and extend plays and get those first downs. So I'm with you. How long, like, what's the buy-in going to be for this LSU team? How long will they stay up for this game? Because, well, like you said, if Ole Miss gets up 14 nothing and LSU turns around and it's going to have to be on the shoulders of Max Johnson and a bunch of dudes, are they going to be able to do it? You know, that's the the million-dollar question. I, and and before anybody's like, well, that they didn't run for that many yards. You have to take, take into consideration – that includes sacks. LSU had four. They had nine tackles for loss. So, in this, if anybody, if you go back and watch the second half of UCLA LSU, they were literally running over LSU. I mean, like it was they were physically going. And this is a, you know, again that whole first week of the season after that happened, everybody's like, oh well, you know, everybody talks about how soft the Pac-12 is, and they just bullied one of the big boys in the SEC, and. um so, you know, I think that's a good – and plus, you know, I don't, I'm not saying Chip Kelly and Lane Kiffin have similar coaching philosophies or like offenses, but I do think that Ole Miss is, is a much better version of um, what UCLA can do. Mm-hmm. And so I, 
I I don't see this being if you can't tell I'm trying to holster you know my expectations but I don't see this game being all that particularly close in the end I don't I mean I was much more worried about Tennessee than I am LSU yeah I I would admit that too and and I don't know if you looked at a lot of the the gambling statistics here. I don't know where the sharks are at on this game. You probably could tell me. Um, I feel like most people are anticipating this to be either a backdoor cover for LSU, just because Ole Miss is still very limited defensively and and not because, because I do think the defense is getting better, but I just think they don't have the depth yet to really put the clamps down on a team unless they just flat out quit, which LSU could do. LSU is known to do that when they're having a change in, in leadership. I mean, we saw it with some less miles teams that just flat out quit. I mean, I think in 2015 when Chad Kelly and that offense just really shoved it down LSU's throat early, they shut down. And that team was super talented. That, that was a team with Leonard Fournette and a really good defense and they just quit. Um, I am curious to see what this LSU team is going to look like. I mean, I, I could very well, and I'd say I could, I would not be shocked if this is like a 45 28 game or a 45 30 game, something like that, where Ole Miss just kind of flexes their muscle offensively. I mean, we talk about the the injuries on that defense for LSU, I mean, their two best corners are gone. So, I mean, you'd think that Matt Corral and Ontario Drummond and Dennis Jackson, Casey Kelly, and just whoever is in that receiver room are just licking their chops, ready to get after them. Um, but, you know, you, you mentioned the UCLA game, and I think that that's a, a great point to bring up because UCLA not only ran the ball effectively, but, I mean, Dorian Thompson-Robinson only completed nine passes in that game. He didn't have to throw it. So how is LSU going to defend a team that can run it really well and has the Heisman front runner at quarterback? I just, yeah. I just think it's I, too I many problems. Yeah, I, I, I don't. It, it all combined with the fact that at this point in the season, your coach is out the door. Like that mm-hmm. wasn't the case in week one. I mean, there's, you know, I understand that they just beat Florida. I get that. Like, I do. But Florida also doesn't have Matt Corral. I, I just. I think this is a bad matchup for them. The line has actually shifted from 12 to nine. I'm going to tell you, if it's still at nine tomorrow, I'm going to lock that in, that number in. I mean, yeah. that's just too low. Like, yeah. it, you know, maybe LSU comes in at backdoor covers. That's fine. But nine just seems too low for this game. And, yes, I understand that LSU recruits well and all that. But sometimes you just – you know, believe it or not, even Brandon Walker today had a good point about Ole Miss. They just got the best player in college football right now. And yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's, that, that, it's you know, eerily similar to that 2012 A&M team where they were just kind yeah. of they were just kind of good. They weren't great. They weren't bad. They were just solid. But they had the Heisman Trophy winner, and he made them great. And that's kind of what you're seeing now with Corral just willing them to wins. Yep. All right, so real quick before we hit our break and get to the uh, interview with uh, our guests from And the Valley Shook, do you know when the last time Ole Miss had a sellout? A true sellout? Um, you know, maybe 2016, if I had to guess. 
Okay. I actually might send out a message to see if anyone knows. But um, I think they're really close. I don't know when the last time we've had it. I'll tell you this. I don't know that we've ever had a true sellout where the away crowd didn't do their part too. Yeah, not in my huge, lifetime. I mean, even in 2003, LSU, LSU brought 10,000 people. I mean, mm-hmm. this year, you know, this game, Ole Miss is going to have to provide, you know, 60 of the 64,000 or whatever it holds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think our, our resident um, guru of all things Ole Miss trivia and statistics, uh, Nicholas Carr, who was unable to join this evening. I, he said 2016 Georgia. I feel like that's probably correct. Yeah. That, I do that, that was the game that I was thinking of, 2016 Georgia. But I don't know if there was one after that that, you know what I mean, like maybe there was one more since that time. But I, Yeah, I that, that game listed 100% attendance, 64,038, or 65,843. Well, 64, see, I think 6438 is the capacity. I think 2016 is the last year that I think we sold out our season ticket allotment. So I don't think we had any right other availability. Like, right. I mean, I don't think we had any any available tickets, period. So I think every game that year was technically a sellout. Yeah, so I would say it's either it's either Georgia or Bama that year. Um so, but yeah, so five years, over five years, um, I think they're going to get it. Um, perfect weather. It's going to yeah, be rowdy. Perfect weather. Retiring Eli Manning's number. Huge, huge contingency of prospects in town. It's going to be fun. Um, 230 kicks, CBS, another primetime. This is not technically primetime, but it's national television audience for – for Matt Corral to do his thing and continue to to push on for the Heisman campaign. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll give our uh, actual predictions and thoughts on the game during the legal gambling council episode tomorrow. Um, any final thoughts, Ben, before we uh, hit the break? No, I mean, you know, it'll be, uh, I'm interested to hear what and the Valley shook has to say. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, and just for, um, full transparency. Um, it was recorded, um, on Tuesday evening. Um, it was a great interview. Um, a lot of thoughts on the coaching search and, uh, they were pretty candid on how they feel about this game. So, um, but we will go to that now. We'll take our break here from the sponsors. And then on the other side, you will hear from Zachary Junda of and the Valley shook LSU's SB nation site. So hang tight. We'll be right back. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, 
Southern Cooking Cocktails. What's not to like? All three fantastic establishments, part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost Grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going... Be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something. The place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out their rooftop bar, which is super awesome. has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station bourbon, a very small batch High Rye Bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold, classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, just the right amount of spice, and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high-rye bourbons. So you could do that, or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So, like we always say, ask your, pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic. And, as always, OD encourages you to share SIP responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. And 
we now welcome in our guest, Zachary Agenda of And the Valley Shook, managing editor. This is this, this is a, a meeting of the managing editors here. So this is going to be yeah. fun. Um, a meeting of the Zachs. That, all, yeah, that too. Also, wow, just buried buried the lead there. Um, but yeah, this is a this is a all Zach podcast, all managing editor uh, podcast here. But uh, thanks for joining, Zachary. Appreciate it. Yeah, happy to. We uh, and the Valley Shook. We love our friends at Red Cup Rebellion. It's 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 my favorite week of the season. Honestly, I love I love the Ole Miss rivalry. I appreciate you not calling it Magnolia Bowl week. I don't think anybody no. calls it that. But no, I, I, um, absolutely not. We don't, we don't say that. that name. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's, we don't need to waste any time. Saturday, two 30 local time, LSU, Ole Miss, um, both teams coming off huge wins. Um, LSU able to take care of Florida. Um, and they, uh, probably the game of the day for sure before Ole Miss and Tennessee got going in the evening, um, 49, 42 victory. Um, it was a hell of a game. Uh, is it, is it Tyrion or Tyrion? I want to make sure I say it right. Uh, Tyrion, like, uh, Game of Thrones. Okay, perfect. That's what I was hoping. So Tyrion Davis Price obviously had a big day. Um, I believe he ran for 275 and three touchdowns. Um, Florida really didn't have an answer, but did you, as an LSU fan, did you expect that to happen? No. On Saturday. No. <laughs> I thought they'd get blown out. It, it was, it was a carbon copy recreation of last year's Florida game. Just nobody's shoe got thrown. Um, you know, last year Florida was favored by twenty three and a half points, and LSU ruined Florida season. This year LSU was, I think, only only twelve and a half point underdogs, and uh, I don't know if you want to say that they ruined their season because they've already got uh, I believe they have two losses going into the game now three, but you know, with uh, I believe they played Georgia this weekend, Florida just lost out, probably lost out on a chance to go to a new year six bowl. So two years in a row, LSU's JV team beats Dan Mullen. And, um, and it's just, it's hilarious at this point now. Um, but no, because the Ty Davis price thing is so funny. He Saturday, he set the single game record uh, in LSU history and that game, he had more yards rushing in those 60 minutes than he had in the previous six games all season. So he basically doubled his <laughs> outputs and in, in one game and, and LSU basically just ran the same play this and they haven't really done it up until last week, but this like, guard H back counter pulling play. And they ran it. It felt like 30 times and Todd Grantham just was mystified by it and couldn't stop it. It never, never adjusted. Now, before we get into the game on Saturday, we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the shakeup in the head coach's office in Baton Rouge. Um, (laughs) It it was, it was kind of crazy. So, Last weekend, um, my wife and I went up to Knoxville, saw a bunch of friends. Um, it was a, it was a lot of fun outside of the last minute of the game, which the last minute took almost an hour um, because of the delay. But it was a good time. Um, probably the best atmosphere I've ever been to in person, which is saying a lot because I've been to Death Valley multiple times. I've been to the Swamp. Um, 
Uh, I've been to big bowl games. Um, it was loud as hell and it was a great game. Um, and then obviously it was all, you know, came crashing down and ruined at the end because of Tennessee fans. But it was a good time, but drove back. There was a ton of traffic. So it took almost four hours getting home. So we get out of the car, get everything unpacked. I checked my phone and uh, learned that Ed, Ed Ordron was, uh, I guess, relieved of his duties after the season concludes. Um, so I had no idea. I was like three hours behind on that because I was driving. Um, in your opinion, there are a lot of names thrown around. Um, I kind of have a couple in mind that I think are legitimate candidates, and then the rest is just kind of window dressing. Um, who do you think LSU has a legitimate shot at naming the head coach for 2022? Yeah, that's that's so funny you say that because, um, Zach, that's a not mighty nice-looking head coach you guys got over there. <laughs> and it would uh, hey. be a real shame if Scott Woodward threw a whole bunch of money at uh, Kane Liffin, and he took the LSU job. Um, but Kif- Kiffin's definitely on people's lists. Uh, he's on he's on my list. Uh, LSU fans have this weird obsession with bringing uh, Joe Brady back. I, that's I'm not yeah. tapped into the program, but that that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I, I can see the appeal of it, but. I think that's just more LSU fans trying to bring back the magic of that 19 season by bringing back the the receiver coach, passing game coordinator. But but Brady's an NFL guy. He he's probably going to get an NFL head coaching job next season. He's he's not coming. He's not coming back. Guys, just let that go. Um, people, I disagree with it. But apparently, the higher ups they're looking at Jimbo, and they're looking at uh, 95 million dollars <laughs> going. We can make that work. And, oh, yeah. um, and, and, and Mel Tucker, he's getting some run. Um, and, you know, it, the last time LSU hired a Michigan State coach, it worked out pretty well. So yeah. maybe, maybe they can recreate that, uh, that uh, the early golden years magic. But those are kind of on, on my list. Not, not Fisher, of course, but, but Kiffin, Mel Tucker, some people want to bring back Dave Aranda. I, I think if mm. Aranda was at Baylor, maybe another year or two, you can do it, but he's still, he's only a, a second year head coach. And, and I think with the way football is going and, and you guys can speak to this, you kind of need an offensive mind. That's just how, that's just how it's evolved. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, honestly though, I, I, I think Mel Tucker would probably be a, pretty nice fit in Baton Rouge. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm curious if people remember. Um, he was at LSU for one year back in 2000, which is two decades ago, which, man, I'm old as shit. Yep. Um, it, dude, his resume is pretty loaded. Um, you know, he was at Michigan State with Nick Saban and then ended up spending one year at Miami of Ohio, then joined him in Baton Rouge. He's been at Ohio State. He's had several NFL jobs. Um, He's been a defensive coordinator in the NFL. He spent time at Alabama with Nick Saban in 2015. And then he spent um, a couple years at Georgia. And then obviously one year at Colorado, and then now he's at Michigan State where uh, the Spartans are 7-0 and and – trying to think i don't know off the top of my head i can pull it up real quick uh, i believe they're in the top 10 
Um, yeah, the, yes. uh, the first CFP poll came out. They, they've got to be top 10, I believe. I didn't see it either, but they've got to be up there. They're nine in the AP and seven in the coaches poll. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's done a phenomenal job very quickly in East Lansing. I mean, a team that was you know, struggling mightily before he got there. Um, so I don't hate the fit there. I think he's a really good recruiter. He obviously has spent time at the college level recruiting as an assistant. He, he did a hell of a job at Georgia, coached some really good defenses there. And then he's familiar with the state of Louisiana. I really don't hate it. I know a lot of people are kind of scoffing at it because he was five and seven in one year at Colorado. And then he was two and five a year ago, but look, I mean, quick turnaround seven and oh, I don't think it's a fluke. Michigan state's a really good team. Um, I don't hate that as someone to step in to try to turn things around in Baton Rouge because, you know, we we don't have to spend too much time on it, but it it was – I really didn't think that it would get to this point after the 2019 season. I knew they were – I knew they were losing a lot. Joe Burrow obviously was incredible, had one of the single best regular seasons ever by anyone in college football history. Joe Brady, you already talked about him, was phenomenal as the OC. They were just loaded everywhere on both sides of the ball. Lose a ton of guys to the NFL, but, man, I, just tons of off-the-field stuff. It's probably, if I had to guess, a distraction for a lot of people in that building. But, I, and this isn't just because we're an Ole Miss podcast and an Ole Miss website, but I think a lot of people saw this coming with Ed Orgeron. I think he just kind of caught lightning in a bottle with that team. Um I just don't think he's fit to be a head coach. I think he's better suited to be an assistant, a DC, something like that. And I don't know. Maybe I'm talking out of turn here. You know him better than I do. It's been a while since he was in Oxford, but. Well, actually, I was going to ask because it it sort of seems, and I don't mean to be offensive, but it sort of seems like he turned back into uh, Ole Miss at Orgeron. (laughs) Are you you seeing parallels from, from uh, I guess, 15 years ago to now? Like, is it just, is this just who he is? I think so. I mean, I like to think people change. Um, but look, I mean, we know about another former coach that hasn't changed one bit in uh, Hugh Freeze. Um, and they, they, hey, they had a hell of a game last week, lost to uh, ULM. Um, Warhawks. So he's got something in common with Nick Saban now. He'll probably chalk that up as a victory somehow. Um, yeah, I mean, we all know about the famous story about during a lightning delay against Wake Forest, Ed Orgeron just basically holds an impromptu full contact practice in the IPF while they're waiting for the game to start back up. He famously ripped his shirt off in a team meeting and challenged some players to fight him. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stories. And then I guess a couple of weeks ago, he, you know, basically kind of threatened a guy on a radio show that um, <laughs> they'd take him out to the swamp and dump him out there for the Gators. I, I think he realized that it was unraveling before his eyes. And I think he knew that he was kind of a dead man walking, but look, I, I was shocked at last week. I, do you think that LSU is going to be able to get up a, another week in a row for this game? I know there's a ton of injuries. Max Johnson's really been up and down. He hasn't been bad. I don't think he's been bad, he, but I mean, it's just, it's just a weird, I don't know. You, you're the LSU guy here. How weird has it been with with the coaching change where – and, look, I'll applaud Scott Woodward and LSU here because they got out ahead of this thing. 
They said he's not coming back because Ole Miss fans know you don't want an interim or a guy that's on the chopping block to gain any momentum and stick around for another year or two. Yeah, to answer the first part about can LSU get up for another game, I think because it's Ole Miss, they can. Um, they haven't yeah. lost to Ole Miss since Ed's been coach. And, right. You know, Ed, Ed's taken the the firing very personally, and Orgeron will be damned if his team ever loses to Ole Miss again. So I think that's the one – like the the problem – The I, I, I agree that's the right move to do it now, but I think the problem is to basically be – an interim coach for five or six more weeks and you match that with all the injuries they already have, uh, you know, Butte, Rick, Stingley, Ali Gay, the list just goes on and on. I think eventually they're going to run out of gas. So like when they play Alabama in two weeks, you know, LSU's JV team, they're just not going to be able to keep up. But Ole Miss, I think they can because it's just how personally he takes that game. Mm-hmm. The, the the coaching side though reports say Ed knew kind of going into Florida that this was that the, the jig was up. Kentucky was kind of his last stand. It goes terribly. And and there's even like just Orgeron outbursts in that game too. Like apparently some hype video didn't go the way it was supposed to have gone. There's some kind of technical issues with it. And that resulted in Ed throwing a chair at an assistant or a production person. And if, if you read the, the tweets from like the Pete Thamels, the Brody Millers, it, it, it boils down to the players. They just didn't want to play for that guy anymore. But, uh, but you get rid of head coach Ed Orgeron and in comes interim coach Ed Orgeron. Everybody loves interim coach. O. And they got him up for Florida. He's probably going to get him up for Ole Miss. I just, I think they're going to run out of gas. It's going to catch up to him eventually. This kind of happened to him last year. But it had happened right at the tail end of the season with Florida Ole Miss, coincidentally enough. But that was just two games, mm-hmm. not five games, not six games, because they still got to play Arkansas. They still got to play Texas A&M. Um, they still got to play ULM, but LSU should beat a ULM <laughs> team. Weirdly, LSU, because they beat Florida, they're kind of back in a bowl, bowl co- conversation. It, it was looking like they are going to go four and eight. Um, but now you get a surprise win over Florida. And – you know, who's to say LSU can't beat A&M at home or Arkansas at home? You get mm-hmm. five wins with ULM, maybe get one of those two, and you're at, you're at a bowl game. And I believe he said in his very awkward – I don't know if you watched it, Zach, his, his presser Monday evening or Sunday evening with Scott Woodward was one of the most uncomfortable things I'd ever seen. But he <laughs> did say he would coach in the bowl game. So maybe hey, – as, we'll, as Ole Miss we'll fans, we, we know about super awkward press conferences. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't um, know if you remember the the hostage video that uh, <laughs> Ross Bjork and everybody had after the Hugh Freeze debacle. But um, um, Hugh Freeze, actually, not you mentioned it. He's a he's a guy that some people think maybe LSU should target, but with with their Title Nine stuff, you you can't you can't go after Hugh Freeze. He's he's toxic. He's mm-hmm. untouchable. Um, that, yeah, you just scratch that from the list. That's not happening. I, I agree with you. I do think that they'll be able to get up. I mean. I would venture to say that the LSU players, I think it's hard mentally or at least subconsciously not to be a little down because the season didn't go the way that they wanted to, obviously. And the head coach is, you know, his days are numbered. But I do think that there's probably a large majority of that locker room 
that wants to play for Coach Orgeron. I mean, say what you want about him and just how bizarre and out there he can be. Um, I think players like playing for him, and he's, you know, kind of a player's coach with how intense he can be. So I'd imagine that they'll be up for it. You know, play spoiler, 230 games, CBS, everybody's going to be watching. Um, Ole Miss is honoring mm-hmm. Eli Manning, retiring his jersey. So I'm sure he's going to really play that up and crashing the party and, and ruining the day for Ole Miss. And, and he's been there long enough. All those players he recruited, this isn't like a Les Miles thing where he's right. – some of them are Les's kids and some right. aren't. Every single one of those kids, Orgeron recruited and brought to LSU. So I, I agree with those guys. Even if they're kind of – I don't want to play for this dude anymore, I think they'll recognize like, hey – He's the reason I'm here. Let's – and we know he's got his history with Ole Miss. Let's try and give him one more victory over uh, over these guys. Yeah, and you mentioned it. Um, last time Ole Miss defeated LSU was in 2015, 38-17 victory at home. Since then, 38-21, 40-24, 45-16, 58-37, and then last year in the monsoon, 53-48, LSU, five straight victories in the series. It's turning the page to this one. Ole Miss playing probably about as good as anyone in the country right now. They um, went a wild one in Knoxville last weekend. Matt Corral was masterful second week in a row. 426 total yards, um, kind of willed them to a victory. Uh, as you look at this game, I believe the line has settled at either anywhere from nine to nine and a half. How do you kind of anticipate this game shaking out on Saturday? I've got to do an entire reevaluation in light of uh, the rushing performance. Now, obviously, Ty Davis Price won't or I don't want to say won't because you never know, but likely won't recreate the single greatest rushing effort in school history again. But he had success against Kentucky too. And this is two consecutive weeks where LSU was like prior to Kentucky was like 125th in the in FBS and rushing. And these last two rushing efforts by the team and Davis Price specifically have kind of jumped them up a little bit. Um and it's just so crazy that LSU of all the teams is the one that couldn't run the ball, and but they seem to have gotten it back on track. All that said, though, they're still kind of depleted wide receiver-wise. They, they have a pretty good freshman. It, it looks like it's a trio because they, they recruited four guys that they're really high on. Actually, the, the guy who's hurt, Deion Smith, Mississippi native that I know Kiffin mm-hmm. was high on, LSU was able to snag him. Smith has had a good game, but he didn't play against uh, Florida. I'm not sure what his status is for Ole Miss, but they still have Brian Thomas Jr., who's a four-star freshman. They have Jack Bash, who's a he's, – he's a guy LSU hasn't had before, really. He's kind of a flex, tight end, wide receiver. He was, he was what they were going to hope Arik Gilbert would be. And in fairness, what Gilbert was for the five or six games, however many he played before he, he opted out the program and transferred to Florida and then – transferred to Georgia and his, his uh, very strange and starting mm-hmm. to get sad type of saga. Uh, and they have uh, Malik neighbors, another freshman wide receiver who he lost out on his senior year because of uh, some real like technicality stuff with, 
LHSAA, the Louisiana High School Association people. So it's, it's a youth movement out wide. Uh, you don't have Keishon Butte to worry about, uh, fortunately for Ole, uh, Ole Miss, who I believe is still running up and down the field on Ole Miss secondary after, what was it, 300-something yeah. yards in that December game. Um, yeah, huge, huge bummer huge bummer that he's out for the year. I mean, I know Ole Miss fans are happy that he's not suiting up for this one, but he was, uh, he was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and, and, and fortunately, and I'm not trying to mitigate the injury, but I, I was at that Kentucky game, and when he got carted off, the the instant like reactions on Twitter was an Achilles, and you're thinking, oh god, he's never going to play for LSU again because that's such a long process to get back. Yeah. It seems to only be an ankle injury, so there's a chance he he could be back for the 2022 season. Fortunately, um, but no, Ole Miss went up to about Keishon Butte. Uh, it it just comes down to offensive line for LSU. It's been the biggest weakness on this team for, for two seasons now. It's one of the reasons why Ed Orgeron's not going to be coaching in 2022 because he couldn't properly uh, supplement the line after that unit won the uh, the Joe Moore Award, which really in hindsight is kind of more of a, a Joe Burrow Award because he kind of bailed these guys out so many times. Defensively, again, I'm not hoping for injury, but I've seen that Matt Corral, is, is he still questionable to play? But um, – the secondary is beat up between Stingley and Ricks being out that LSU is walking into the 2021 season with maybe the best corner tandem in college football. And mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to finish the season with either one of these guys. Stingley played, I think only three games, four games before, before a foot injury took him out. Mm-hmm. Now he's not officially out for the season. He's going to try and rehab it back. But you know, at this rate, what is he going to come back and play for a, a five and six four and eight football team. I, I just don't see it. And Riggs mm-hmm. is definitely out with a, a labor injury. And that's going to be a problem trying to keep up with this wide open high flying oldness offense. It's it. It'll probably be a shootout like last season's game. I just, I don't think LSU has the manpower to keep up with them this year. Yeah. I, I've talked to several people that are on the ground in Oxford. Um, I want to say, and I'm not speaking for Lane Kiffin here, but I'm pretty sure he was maybe talking through the media to his running back room and then also maybe playing a little smoke and mirrors and having some fun with uh, Ed Orgeron because those two are are pals. They've coached together. Um, You know, they've been on staffs together. And I I would be very, very shocked if Matt Corral is not playing on Saturday. Um, I think there was just some – some basic wear and tear. Uh, he obviously took a beating in the Tennessee game, running the football 30 times. Um, but I, I don't think that he's not playing on Saturday. I think it was just possibly maybe trying to motivate his running backs to take a little bit of the load off of Matt Corral to where he doesn't have to run the ball 30 times. Um, I kind of thought the quote was more of Kiffin saying that style of play is not sustainable and that Matt Corral couldn't do that every week. Um, which I think is true. I don't think Matt Corral could run the ball 30 times every week and make it out alive by the end of the year. So he's going to be playing on Saturday. I think um, even after the game in the post game after Tennessee, he said he was fine. You know, he just kind of rolled up his ankle, came out for a couple plays. He said he was okay. Um, you know, th- this matchup on Saturday is going to be fun because you mentioned, uh, Ty Davis Price and how big he was against Florida. 
Um, Ole Miss, whose defense has been kind of up and down. Statistically, they're much better than they were a year ago, but they've still shown some holes, still have a ton of depth issues, but they were really good against the run against Tennessee. Um, were able to kind of stymie their run game in the first half. And then the second half, I think Tennessee was really trying to establish something to try to open up the passing game. And Ole Miss was, they did a nice job. They held the, the running backs to under three yards of carry and were able to kind of force Hendon Hooker to have to beat them and he couldn't do it. Um, so I'm excited to see what that looks like because Ty Davis Price, like you said, is a hell of a running back. He's had some really good games as of late. So that matchup's going to be fun to watch. And then, like you said, depleted secondary for LSU. Matt Corral is going to really want to test them, I think, um, stretching the field vertically and then um, playing off that run game. Kiffin and Jeff Levy love to set up the pass with the run. Snoop Connor, Henry Parrish, Jerry Neely's back from a concussion. Um, I think they're going to really try to run it right at LSU and try to open things up the passing game that way. But yeah, I mean, this one's this one's kind of tricky. I think the rivalry game is going to play a factor here. Um, I've kind of gone back and forth on the on the spread here, whether or not I think Ole Miss is going to be able to cover, but I think it's probably going to be a pretty high scoring game. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if LSU got a backdoor cover. I think Ole Miss wins the game. I don't say comfortably, but I, like you said, I don't know if LSU has the firepower offensively to keep pace with Matt Corral and the offense. But I, I think as of now, I'm kind of leaning towards LSU possibly covering just because I think they're going to play for Ed Orgeron. They're going to be, they're going to be fired up, play the villain role going into a, uh, what I think is going to be a pretty hostile environment. I think they're close to selling out the game. I mentioned they're retiring Eli's number, so it's going to be a big crowd. People are going to be fired up. And, you know, Ole Miss is 12th in the country. They're 5-1. and one. It's LSU. They haven't beaten Ed Orgeron. So I think that that's going to be a big motivator for them as well on Saturday. Are they going to put Eli's number next to the, the co-Western Division championship uh, flag that you guys <laughs> have? That would actually be fantastic if they did do that. Um, that's always been a huge running joke with us with uh, the co-West Division banner, co-West Division champ banner, and we always laugh about it. But that would be pretty great if they uh, put his number and, you know, did the whole, like, unveiling where they have the, the cover over it and then they pull it down and they have the 10 next to that banner. That's actually a pretty great idea. So that would be funny. Maybe Eli can pantomime him uh, tripping over uh, his own beats. Yeah. Um, I was wonder- that, that game? I believe it was. Yeah, it was. I wonder if if uh, if Doug Buckles will be there to to not step on his feet when he's on the field, and then maybe Jonathan Nichols will be there in attendance, and he can uh, apologize to Eli again for missing those field goals that cost him the game. So, um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be a lot of uh, a lot of memories flooding back to Eli about LSU in that one. But um, but yeah, so I I think it's going to be a good game. I mean. Like you said, I don't think LSU will sleepwalk. I don't think they'll quit. Um, I mean, I think it would have to be – I think it would have to get kind of out of out of hand early for LSU to possibly just kind of mail it in. I mean, 
if Ole Miss were to jump out to a two-score, three-score lead, LSU is going to be uh, – I think it'll be tough sledding for them to have to fight back without Kayshawn Boutte. And um, you mentioned Deion Smith, who's had a really good year as a true freshman yeah. um, with his availability in question. But if you had to make a prediction for Saturday, which way are you leaning right now? Yeah, I just – I can't – I can't f- – fathom a scenario where LSU wins um especially I mean if this is like the the COVID situation where it's like a empty stadium maybe they can go into a less than intimidating uh Ole Miss field and and beat them but with with a near sellout happening and I just I don't think they can recreate that same kind of effort that they did against Florida I think that was the let's win this last one for, for coach. And then we'll just kind of see what happens now. It, I can't ignore the win though. I mean, I, I do think that kind of lights a new kind of fire under him saying, Hey, screw it. Let's, let's ruin someone else's season. Let's see, let's make this happen again. Um, but that's just me thinking with my heart, not with my head. Ole Miss is clearly the superior team at, at this time. They're the healthier team. They've got the home field advantage. I could see it being like a 44-34 type of game where LSU plays them tough and they 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 scare the bejesus out of Ole Miss a couple of times, but I I think there's just too much for LSU to overcome again. Okay, I kind I'm kind of with you there. Like it'll be close to a cover. It'll just be, I think kind of how you're talking with that like 10, 13 point lead. And then maybe LSU punches one in late in the fourth to ruin somebody's parlay or something and, and cover there. Um, a bit off, uh, uh, well, not a bit off topic from the game, but um, I do want to get your thoughts on this. You, you obviously watch a lot of college football and um, have experience seeing somebody have a Heisman season. The Heisman this year, uh, I feel like it's a two-person race right now, and I don't know if it'll get out of that. Um, depending on where you look with the odds, um, I think it's most people have Matt Corral with a slight lead over Bryce Young right now in the Heisman odds. But mm-hmm. so far through six uh, through six weeks, um, who do you kind of see as the front runner right now? No, yeah, I think it's Corral too, and. I'm curious. I'm not trying to diminish Corral, but it seems like this is just such a weird year where it doesn't seem like anybody's a great, there's no great team and there's maybe not no one great player. Is Corral the best player or is he just putting up the best numbers? Cause I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out which one it is. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you phrased it that way because I think right now, so I'm looking at, like Pro Football Network has Bryce Young at plus 180, Corral's at plus 190. Um, let's see if I look at DraftKings, they have it at Bryce Young plus 178, Matt Corral plus 183. So it's it's pretty neck and neck. Um, I can't remember who it was. Somebody has Corral as the favorite. Um, it's just kind of, you know, basically take your pick. It's it's one or the other. It's either Bryce Young or Matt Corral right now. Um, 
you know, it's you mentioned the numbers. I think right now it's more of consistency with Corral. Um, you know, Bryce Young has been, in my opinion, he's been kind of a souped up game manager. Um, mm. I went back and watched their highlights from the Mississippi State game where they just trounced them on the road and beat them by 40. A lot of his numbers, I think, are a little bit inflated by catch and runs, um, just to kind of, you know, almost nowhere near the volume of Mac Jones. But, I mean, it's kind of what Mac Jones did a year ago. It was just a lot of slants and um, watching the receivers run. But Corral's had, you know, I guess some of the early Heisman moments have been, you know, he had some big throws against Arkansas. And then last week he, you know, ran the ball 30 times and carried Ole Miss to a big road victory. If you look at statistics right now, Bryce Young has more passing yards and more passing touchdowns, but Corral, like I said, just been more consistent, um, more of a dual threat. He's run for more yards and he's only thrown one pick. Um, you know, I, I kind of agree with you what you said. There's really no dominant team or dominant player. I mean, it, I think it is a two-person race because both Bama and Ole Miss have a loss um, and they certainly – you know, statistically, literally have a chance to finish 11 and one. So I think, depending on how the voters lean, because I think that they're both going to get an invite to New York, it's just going to be will the voters actually lean towards the best player or the player that's on the best team, which the latter has been kind of how they've done this the past couple of years, in my opinion. Um, we actually did a, a post on our site a couple of weeks ago about former Heisman winners that weren't on the best team in the country. You know, whether you had Lamar Jackson, whose um, Louisville team, I think, lost three regular season games. You had like Ricky Williams was on a three loss team. That was a long time ago, but um, you yeah, had Griffin you know, and 11. Yeah, RG3 and Johnny Menzel both had two losses in the regular season, but just put up monster numbers. So I think that's kind of where you're at as an Ole Miss fan is you just really need Ole Miss to keep winning and for Corral to just stay consistent and keep putting up numbers if he's going to have a shot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think it's just going to be one or the other. It's just, you know, which one's going to blink first. It Does it come down to who wins the West, wins the Heisman as well? Is that what it's going to boil down to? It could, you know. I mean, I think obviously Alabama has the head-to-head. So if you're an Ole Miss fan, you need Alabama to lose another one. Um, I don't know where that loss would come. Auburn's been a little spunky the past couple of weeks. I, I don't know if they can beat Alabama, but Bo Nix has kind of found something recently. So maybe that's it. I, I still don't believe that, but maybe that's what it comes down to. I, I mean, I think it's certainly conceivable that if Ole Miss were to go 11 and one or 10 and two and Matt Corral just, just continues to put up big numbers that maybe he could edge out Bryce Young. But again, it just comes down to what the voters are going to do. Are they really going to look at it as Matt Corral is the better player or we just got to give it to Bryce Young because he's on the better team and they're in the playoff, yada, 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 all that. So, um, you know, it's still a long season. I mean, we're halfway through it. There's still a lot of games left on the schedule. Ole Miss is battling a ton of injuries. Corral's down a couple of playmakers. They've really got to piece it together for this final stretch here. Um, and he's going to have to continue to, to be efficient with uh, the injuries they have at receiver right now.
All right, Zachary, um, you gave us your prediction. Um, and I'll, ask, I'll put you on the spot again before we close. Um, we talked about it a little bit earlier. If you had to predict right now who the coach of LSU will be next season, who do you have your money on? Personally, I would like it. Uh, I would want it to be Kiffin, but I think also with his uh, kind of shenanigans in his past, maybe that kind of scares away Scott Woodward and, and the administration. This Title IX stuff can't be ignored, and LSU's got to get, like, the squeakiest, cleanest hire possible. So with that said, I think they're going to swing for Lane Kiffin, but they're going to have to settle. And I, I hate using the word settle because I think he's a great choice too, but I, I think Mel Tucker would be the choice. A lot of people, though, um, are floating James Franklin's name out there, but all that stuff mm-hmm. with Vanderbilt when he was there, that might scare people away, but James Franklin – Checks a lot of boxes too, but I'm going to go with Mel Tucker. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. Um, I think they would love to be able to get Jimbo Fisher away from AM. I just don't know financially if that's possible because he's getting paid so much money at AM. Um, and then, yeah, Franklin's been thrown around. Um, I know his name's going to be in the mix out in LA with uh, USC. Mario Cristobal is another one that's been thrown around, but I think his contract is just so convoluted out there. His buyout's around $9 million. It doesn't drop down to 6 and a half until mid-January. I think they're going to want to have a coach before then. Um, I think Kiffin is on the list. I think he's just a little bit farther down the list. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would think it's probably a top three of Jimbo, Mel Tucker, and James Franklin. And then I really don't think it's going to get past those three names. I think it's, you know, they're going to swing for the fences for Franklin and Jimbo. And if they don't, if they don't get him, I think they can get Mel Tucker away from Michigan state. I mean, I think it would be foolish to, to not take the LSU job with the built-in advantages with the sec recruiting ground. Um, and just everything. Only, only, only big time program in the States. Yeah. You're the only, only show in town. Um, and, and it, despite what he's done at Michigan State this season, um, I, I mean, I, I would probably venture to say that they're more of a basketball school. So you're, you know, you're kind of always going to be second fiddle in that town. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that that he could potentially jump to his third program in four years if LSU comes calling. So, um, all right, Zachary. Before I let you go, make sure to uh, let the folks know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find everything they need to know about this week's game at Anna Valley Shook. Yeah, you can find me personally at uh, my name, Zachary Junda, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y, because that matters because Zach, your name is also spelled correctly. That's how it should always be spelled. Um, You can follow the site specifically at ATV Shook. Uh, Our header is a very funny picture from the, the 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 Orgeron Woodward joint press conference meeting where they're giving each other a handshake and Orgeron just has the biggest look of contempt looking at Scott Woodward. He <laughs> he hates that man so much in the picture, but it's very funny and it's our banner picture. Um we'll have stuff later on in the week. We'll have a game preview courtesy of our, our man uh Max Toscano and then we'll have uh a QA segment with you guys uh with uh one man to beat uh very funny very good friend of ours. Uh, I'll do lame brain, dull football questions, but then our, our guy, Evan Sachs will ask the real questions, the real uh, facetious, entertaining tongue in cheek questions that only one, uh, one man to be 
and Red Cup Rebellion can provide. All right. Well, yeah, check them out, andthevalleystrick.com. Follow Zachary on Twitter and follow them on Twitter for all of the uh, Magnolia Bowl content you can desire. So thanks. Are you to, guys uh, going to take the trophy if y'all win? Because LSU just leaves <laughs> it on the ground. They're like, what, this? You know, uh, fuck it. Y'all can have it. Honestly, like, you know, if Ole Miss wins on Saturday, I would not put it past Lane Kiffin to just not even know that a trophy exists and to just not even realize it. Um, another big thing in, in these trophy games is the players, you know, sprint to the trophy on the field. Um, I'm sure the players will do it just because they haven't won in, you know, six years. Uh, and it'll be a big thing for the program to continue winning and, you know, getting that monkey off their back beating at Ordron. But yeah, I, I, I would, if you ask Lane Kiffin right now, he probably has no clue that there's an actual trophy. So um, that would be pretty funny if they just left it out there or maybe, you know, left it out there long enough for some students to grab it and, you know, run it through the square like they did with the goalposts against Alabama in 2014. That'd be pretty funny. So um, they just, they got to stop making this trophy thing happen. It's, it's clearly <laughs> nobody wants it. It's, it's, yeah. it's in Scott Woodward's garage right now. Yeah, probably. Um, probably shut shoved behind like a lawnmower or something. But yeah, yeah it's uh, it's it's like Mean Girls. You know, stop trying to make fetch happen. Like yeah, it's not. Stop nice. trying to make trophies happen. They should just be organic. But um, yeah, but yeah, we, we we digress there with the uh Magnolia Bowl trophy. But thanks to Zachary for joining. Thanks to the fellows on the other side for uh, joining us. Uh, and again. And the valleyshook.com, redcuprebellion.com. We'll have tons of coverage, tons of preview stuff up for this game. And uh, Podcast Rebellion will be back later this week with a, uh, with our Legal Gambling Council episode. We will tackle, uh, I guess, what are we? Man, are we already? Yeah, we're already in week eight. So, woof. Week eight. Season, season is flying by. So, um, it'll be uh, another episode for you to uh, gamble your money away and uh, tail us fade us whatever you want to do so thanks to zachary thanks to you the listener for joining thanks to the sponsors for making the show possible until next time podcast rebellion we out